Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, what I hope to be biblical instructional program. Today is um, July 2nd, 2011, and the time is 10.31 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, before I get into the uh, the title of the Bible study, The Serpent in the Wilderness, I want to talk about some significant world events that are happening. Uh, of course, this happened right after the uh, little gay event in, uh, well, not little, but significant gay event in New York, where they were going around like, great, now we have same-sex marriage, and two men can marry, and two women can marry, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. So anyway... Uh, right after that event, or the next day, uh, September 26th, the Palestinians uh, officially made an announcement that they will officially go to the United Nations in September and declare a Palestinian state. It says the Palestinian Liberation Organization late Sunday decided to take their case for statehood to the United Nations in September, making official what has been speculated about for the past year, Palestinians will ask the UN for recognition of a Palestinian state based on the pre-1967 lines, membership in the United Nations, and recognition of the right to self-determination in accordance with the UN Charter, official Palestinian news agency WAFA reported. So I'm not going to read all this, but what that means is that they're going to seek approval from all the nations of the United Nations, which is, I think, all the nations of the world. And from what I was reading, too, um, Monty Judah was stating, because uh, he keeps up with this stuff too, uh, that um, the all they need is nine votes when they vote for it to be able to recognize Palestinian, and this is the Security Council. And he doesn't think that the United States will, that they'll be neutral in their decision. We'll see. We don't know. But uh, this is interesting. This is a significant event because if the United Nations allow them to declare an independent state, then Israel is not going to like that, and this could cause World War III. So we need to be paying attention to that very um, seriously and realize that uh, we're living in very dangerous times here. Now, also, after that announcement in New York, uh, there was wildfires uh, in particular, uh, the wildfire in Los Alamos National Lab. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but that's the area where the creation of the nuclear bomb occurred. 
1945. So looks like God spared that lab, uh, did not get destroyed, but there's still some, some, some concerns about any nuclear waste, uh, approximately 30,000 or more, uh, being burnt up, which would release uh, toxic nuclear waste in the air, which it would not be good. And the Nebraska nuclear plant looks like God had mercy in that situation, but he definitely allowed it to happen. Uh, there is flooding, and it did cause damage, and people did lose their homes, etc. Whenever there's wildfires, there's nothing positive about it. The, the, the wildfires destroy, destroy things. And I'm not surprised that God allowed this to escalate after that gay event. So like I said, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that God was going to let us know he didn't appreciate that. I know many people may be thinking, well, he has to let me know more than that. Well, he will. I guarantee you he will, not only for, for what happened in New York, but for all of our sins. He's going to let us know that he doesn't like or appreciate us disobeying him. As the wickedness increases, as the, the violence increases around the world, as the refusal to not want to obey God, that wicked attitude uh, as that continues on, then the punishments will increase. And you're going to see that today. I, I, uh, I'm i going to talk about when you don't obey authority, because I didn't really go into detail about that. And then also the difference between false prophets and true prophets, because I don't think people really know the difference. And right versus wrong. You know, I did a Bible study on that. You can look in the archives. Uh, many people don't understand what right, what's right and what's wrong. doesn't make a difference how old you are. <laughs> You just don't understand it. So I'm going to go over that briefly today. Then I'm going to go over the Torah readings. Um, actually, the Torah reading is based on the, or the readings is based on the title of this program, The Serpent in the Wilderness. All right, and that has something to do with rebellion again, which I've explained many times in this program. When you rebel against God, bad things happen to you. And really, in particular, when you rebel against God, He He stops giving you His Holy Spirit. And when he stops giving uh, his Holy Spirit to you, you're not going to be able to understand the Bible, and you're not going to be able to resist the devil. So to, it's, it's to your best interest. It's, in, uh, it's to your best interest to obey God to the best of your ability, and then he'll give you the power to do it, because none of us really have the power to do it without God's help. Okay, so uh, let's um, see. Wait a minute. World events. Oh, I want to talk about the debt ceiling here. Um, Congress is fooling around, fighting each other about this. And, oh, shoot, I just had that news report. Let me see if I can find it here because I wanted to talk about that. That's significant. Uh, here we go. Okay, uh, first I'll go to CNN and Fox. It says, um, this article on CNN, on the Internet, uh, July 1st, it says, Time may be tighter for the Democratic and Republican sides to reach an agreement on raising the nation's debt ceiling than the August 2nd deadline would suggest Democratic officials familiar with the negotiations said Friday. They said they believe the White House and congressional leaders would need to come to a deal before the last week of July to get a bill done and through both houses of Congress to meet the August 2nd deadline. The officials said that they are looking at around July 22nd as a practical deadline. Okay, so that's uh, very significant there in regards to that. And there's another article here. Let's see if I can pull it up on the Internet here. 
Okay, this is on Fox. It goes a little more detail what this is going to do to our nation, um, this situation one way or the other. Uh, despite uh, the headline here on Fox uh, News.com, despite deadline uncertainty, U.S. faces bad choices if debt limit not raised by Jim Engel. This was published uh, online July 1, 2011. Uh, it says lawmakers could be forgiven for being confused or skeptical about exactly when the U.S. will hit the debt ceiling. They were originally warned it would come much earlier than August 2nd. The first, I quote, the first date that Congress was supposed to reach a debt ceiling was on March 31st. Between that date and May 16th, so members of Congress legitimately have real concern if this August date is a real date or yet another fake deadline, said Brian Darling, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank. Many lawmakers and analysts of all stripes believe the U.S. will bump up against the $14.3 trillion debt ceiling sometime in August, but they have different views about what this means for the country. For instance, the U.S. would still have enough tax revenues to cover some 50%, 56% of its bills, but little disclaimer here, that that's not covering all of it. It's just 56%. What about the 44%? Quote, with our actual cash flow requirements, that will permit payments on the national debt interest, Social Security and Medicaid, or Medicare, and most defense spending. End of quote. Said University of Maryland economist Peter Morrissey, quote, beyond that, there would be very little cash left, end of quote. All right, so 23 Republican senators wrote a letter to President Obama a month ago urging him to develop contingency plans or being proactive well ahead of hitting the debt ceiling. Quote, it would not be pleasant operating under a debt ceiling budget, and no one is recommending it. But it would not be Armageddon. Here we go again. Oh, it's not going to be bad. Nothing bad is going to happen. Here we go. Quote, the letter said, but officials would have to short through the pile of 80 million bills a month and decide which ones to pay. I'm struggling enough with the bills I have to pay. I don't want to be <laughs> that many bills. Boy, boy, boy. Anyway, uh, Quote, choosing winners and losers, it would be a very uncomfortable and chaotic process because there is no legal basis for saying I'm going to pay you and not you, said Jay Powell, a former Treasury official. So anyway, um, let me summarize this up here, but it doesn't look good, okay? Uh, the fact that we're getting ourselves more and more into debt and really the American public is really deceived. Our, our real debt is, is close to $100 trillion, folks. Uh, it, it really is. When you, you take into account of all the entitlement programs and everything else. So we're we're really in a mess. You keep you can't keep on printing money out of thin air, and that's what we have done. And I think I've mentioned about the Nebraska situation seems to be under control, but still, uh, that's not good. So um, based on our behavior, God is going to increase uh, His punishments. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. And Leviticus chapter 26, where he states, if you don't do this, then I will do this. I will intensify. Just like you have a ch stubborn child don't want to obey, and you, you spank them. Well, if they don't obey, you spank them again. And if they don't obey, you spank them again. You know, so that's what God's going to do with us, but how do you spank adults? You don't spank adults and put them on your lap and spank them. What you do is cause calamity, okay? And many people don't understand that. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 45 for you to understand that God is the originator of calamity and problems because he allows it, and people don't understand that. People think that God is this, this nicey-poo uh, being that he just allows you to sin and doesn't care, you know, and that's not true. 
um, right here in Isaiah 45, verse 7, one of the prophets, Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I, the Lord, who does all these things. Okay? So it's the Lord that causes all this and allows these things to happen because he controls everything. He's the creator of the universe. So if something happens, he has allowed it. He created it. And you guys can argue all you want about that, but that's what God's word says. Okay, so when do we not obey authority? I know that's a favorite topic, perhaps, of a lot of people because uh, it's a natural tendency not to want to obey authority anyway. So when you when you don't obey authority, there are times when you don't do that. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 23. And this is uh, somewhat of a, it kind of explains the democratic process here, okay? Uh, if the majority of people, whether they're righteous or wicked, vote for a person that's supposed to be right, right? Well, not according to the Bible. Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. It says, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many as to pervert justice. Okay? So... Just because the majority agrees on something doesn't mean that it's right. The majority in the New York legislation, the government, the state, the, the state, the capital, have agreed that the leaders have agreed that same-sex marriage is okay. That doesn't make it right because the majority says that it is. All right, according to this scripture, let's read it again. It says, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit. And I think it's worded different in the King James Version. But uh, let's, let's read that in the King James. Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. That's the political process in this country, the democratic process. We vote. That's because we vote someone for office. Doesn't mean that that was the right vote. Okay, just because the majority does it. Now, you know, in some cases the majority is right. But there are some cases also when the majority is wrong. And I tell you, thus says the Lord in reference to this gay stuff, the majority is wrong. When they're saying that it's okay for two men and two women to marry and act like they can procreate to deceive themselves. I mean, that's ridiculous. Okay, so uh, there's all kind of Matthew chapter 19, and people always challenge me, or try to anyway, or, or any other minister, Try to challenge him about homosexuality. Read Matthew chapter 19, the first six or seven, eight verses there, where Yeshua addresses them. And I'm not going to go to that all the time. You have to blow the dust off your Bible and turn to Matthew 19 and read it yourself. But he was addressing divorce. Divorce is the, uh, the opposite of marriage, the antithesis of marriage. Okay, and and um, he was addressing that situation, and then he went back to Genesis where it states in Genesis chapter 2 that uh, a man shall leave his parents and cling to his wife, all right? And they shall become one flesh. He quoted this. This is Jesus. He didn't say anything about, and he said, let, let whatever God has put together, let not man put asunder. And, that, and I stated that's somewhat of a prophecy because man has put things asunder, you know? And he has separated that institution and he's trying to destroy it. And then I explained last week in Luke chapter 17 uh, that Jesus prophesied that things would get so bad like in the days of Lot. 
And what happened in the days of Lot? We know. What was the one event, and I didn't really explain this in detail, but I'm going to today. The one event that God saw, or behavior, social behavior that he saw, that convinced him that Sodom should be destroyed, was what? Well, when the men wanted to lust after the angels, which appeared as men. And people try to put a twist on that and saying, oh, that's not what it was, that was rape, whatever it was. It was wickedness and it was homosexual uh, rape or whatever. It was wrong. They had the wrong type of desire. And God said, that's it. Okay? Now, also in Luke chapter 17, he explains that the days of Noah were similar to that. They were doing gay marriages during the, 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 the days of Noah as well. So... That is the one sign that convinces God that he needs to step up the punishments. That's the reason why I was saying last week that what happened in New York, New York is a key city not only in the United States but in the world. They, the United Nations is located in New York City. Uh, the most popular or most profitable Federal Reserve Bank is located in New York. New York really rules the world. They really do. They influence the world. So... And 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 the, and the unique thing about it is last, okay, prior to last week, the United Nations announced for the first time that they approve of same-sex marriages and, and homosexuality around the world, and that that should be endorsed, that kind of behavior, okay? And, and then the following week, and understand now, the United Nations is located in New York, and then we come up with this. So you tell me those two aren't linked? Of course they're linked, okay? Uh, th this is a significant event, folks. And uh, it's it's uh, let, let's look at Genesis chapter. Nine. Let's turn there anyway, because you know I, I need to. Because I, I don't know the majority of Americans don't read their Bibles. They don't know what's in it. Okay, so you know I, my my responsibility is to show you what's in the Bible, so that you'll know that this is God speaking, not me. Okay, so Genesis chapter nineteen. Let's look. Let's look at this a little more in detail. Okay, Genesis chapter nineteen. Well, actually, let's look at Genesis 18. This is interesting because this is prophetic. This is how God looks at wickedness on the earth, okay? And this is how he determines how much punishment he will inflict. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Well, actually, wait a minute. Let's go in verse 17 of Genesis 18. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children in this household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So he knows that Abraham will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's the reason why he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so much. They are the foundation of how the family should be. The patriarchs. That means that the, the father leads the family. That's why they're called, called the patriarchs. Okay, so that's the structure that God wants. That's the structure that will, that there's no other structure that's going to work other than the patriarch structure of the family. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. 
And we're going to go over the sins of Sodom later on in this Bible study. And it's not just homosexuality. Okay? I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So God is fair here. I mean, he heard, heard but he wants to see it for himself. Because what he's going to do, what he's proposing to do is, is terrible. He's going to, he, he wiped out the whole city. So to do something like that, God is fair. Say, okay, let me, let me just make sure that you know, what I hear is legitimate. He wants to see it for himself. Okay? So in verse 22, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Now, this is pretty bold, talking to God, but you could talk to him this way if you what you're saying is accurate. You better watch how you talk to him. But Abraham knew it. He knew, he knew God. He knew how to talk to him, how to motivate him to to uh, do as he said he would do. Okay? And um, verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth. Now, that's a, he knew that God was the judge of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth. Not Obama, not the United Nations, not the Pope. Not me, not anyone. He's the judge of all the earth, okay? To do what is just. And then verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. So he knew his place. That's what we all are. Verse 28, Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. <laughs> Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. So we know, of course, God knows arithmetic. He created it. Uh, all right. Verse 29, again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this one, suppose 10 are found there, 10 righteous people. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. So God would not have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah if he could find 10 righteous people. Now keep in mind, folks, again, the prophecy in Luke chapter 17 he said, as in the days of Lot, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. So look, keep that in mind as I'm reading this to you. This is prophetic, what I'm telling you, all right? He compares society today to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we know the population of the world is much bigger than Sodom and Gomorrah. But let's, let's do the little math here. I mean, are there... I'm, I hope there's more than ten people on the earth, but considering the the population of the world and considering the other prophecies of the end time, obviously he did not wipe out the entire earth, and he will not wipe out the entire earth because he states in Matthew chapter 24, for the elect's sake, okay, he's going to spare the world. So thank God there's going to be enough righteous people on the earth. However, God has talked about 
destroying certain areas of the world similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? So that's something that you have to consider there. In particular, as we go over the story, we're going to see what led God to finally pull the plug on Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And... And then verse 20, 33, And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to, to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So Genesis 19, the pivotal passage of Scripture here. Let's, let's look at this. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Now remember, the angels, as far as I know, no angels appear. Has any angels appeared as women in the Apocrypha, Sheree? I don't think so. All right. So no angels, not even in the Apocrypha, uh, which are Jewish uh, some of it is inspired, some of it isn't, uh, writings about the Bible as far as helping you understand the Bible in, in detail. But anyway, um, they used to include the Apocrypha with the King James Version. But angels don't appear as women. All right, so they were men. Okay, so uh, 19, Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. So he rose to meet them. And bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. That's a beautiful thing I love about Abraham. He he was hospitable. He he always looked for opportunity to serve and welcome people into his home. That's why God himself wanted a taste of that hospitality. <laughs> so he came and uh, obviously he must have liked Sarah's cooking, you know, because he ate it. It says, uh, verse 2, And my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Okay? Right. Right, I'm confusing this with uh, the visit that God gave to Abraham. No, th this is Lot, right, I'm confused. But Lot also, he had obviously some of Abraham in him. Okay, that's the point I was trying to make. And he actually, um, this wasn't God here, this was just the two angels. I apologize for that. So these are two angels, and then he inherited that hospitality attitude that Abraham had. And I was alluding to the time when uh, God himself in Genesis 18, along with these two angels, visited Abraham. And isn't that interesting? Abraham fed them, and then Lot fed them too. You know, So that tells you that Lot really was linked with Abraham, and he tried to follow Abraham's example to the best of his ability. That's the point I was trying to make. But anyway, um, and then they um, had a feast and baked them on leavened bread, which is interesting. Hmm. Anyway, verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and see, notice it didn't say women. The men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Now, keep in, keep in mind, keep in mind that Christ said, let, let's hold our place here, because I'm just going to, let's turn to Luke again. Right, right, exactly, exactly. No, 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 this is definitely... You gotta believe what the Bible says, and that's the problem most folks that just don't want, it, especially Americans. All right, Luke chapter seventeen. Let's see, Luke chapter seventeen. 
starting in verse 24. It says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things to be rejected by this generation. In other words, he's talking about his first coming, okay? But he's also talking about his second coming in this passage of Scripture. It says, They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, which this marrying has a lot to do with homosexual marriage. Okay, uh, I know you were, me and my wife were taught falsely that this is talking about interracial marriage. No, it's talking about uh, the wrong type of marriages, okay? Uh, until the day when Noah entered the, the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, so likewise in similar fashion. And so Noah, the days of Noah and the days of Lot are similar, okay? Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay? So it says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop of his goods in the house now come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field now turn back, saying, it says, remembers Lot's wife. Remembers Lot's wife. You know what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. She looked back when she was told not to, to look back. And we can't look back in the past, our filthy past, and think that that's something that God approves of. We can't do that. Okay, I just wanted to show you what the Lord has said in terms of the 21st century and how, is, how wicked it's going to get. It's going to be comparable to the days of Lot. Right, so back to Genesis chapter 19. starting in, in verse uh, 4. But before, Genesis 19, verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young, before they didn't get a chance to lie, <laughs> to lie down. You know, both young and old, all the people to the last man, all these are men, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Which proves to you that the angels look like men. Okay, Bring them out to us that we may know them. That word know in original Hebrew means Real, you know, know him sexually, okay? All right, and some translations even say it that way. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, and the door shut after them. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man, so that proves to you that they wanted to do a sexual act with them. For people to say that this is not a sexual uh, orientation or, or, or a desire to have sex with the men, or they don't know what they're talking about, okay? Based on that one scripture right there. Verse 8 proves that that's what the intent was, the evil intent. And he knew, and Lot knew, he knew what it was, was, was about to go down here. It says, verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn. And he has become the judge. Now we will. Now he calls him a judge because he rightfully told them that they was going to do something wicked. That's what people do when you try to correct them. They try to say you a judge and all that. They're not judging you. They're just telling your behavior is wrong. It's like when a cop tells you to do something and you don't do it, they knock you beside the head. You deserve that. <laughs> They're trying to apprehend you and you're trying to resist. So anyway, um, then they pressed against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. So these people were so sick sexually that they were busting the door down, you know. 
But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So they were wearing themselves out. They were that sick sexually. <laughs> Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, and that's what homosexuality does to you folks. That's an example of it, all right? Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone else? Anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place. Destruction in the context of homosexuality. Destruction. Destruction. Homosexuality. Okay? That's, that's what it is. Because the outcry against his people have become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now remember, the destruction didn't, didn't even come because of the other. Well, it led up to it. But what was, what was the final straw? The final straw was the desire to destroy the human race. And the desire to destroy the human race definitely has something to do with homosexuality. Because if two men marry and two women, how can procreation occur? How can you continue to have babies if two men and two women marry each other? I, I, you know, I haven't heard that question addressed in all these talk shows that they have on CNN and ABC and all that. They don't address that because... No, I don't think anyone can. You think anyone can answer that question? They can't. So that's why they don't address it. You know. So anyway, um, all right. Verse thirty-four. We are about to destroy this place because the outcry against His people have become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, "Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city." But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So of course, you know. Nobody seems to take God's servants seriously, even back then, and they don't today. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, that not you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Punishment. Punishment. That's what this is. Punishment. Verse 16, or, yeah, 16, but he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills that not you be swept away. And then Lot was showing his rebellion. And he says, and Lot says to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, that not the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He says to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. For I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Verse 22, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and where it grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. It's like he said, remember Lot's wife. Why is he telling us to remember that? Because it's prophetic. What's prophetic? The behavior. The behavior of that city, the behavior of Lot, the behavior of his wife 
is prophetic is going to happen similar to that again in these end times. God is going to provide protection for his people, symbolized by Lot. We're going to doubt that. We're going to linger. We're not going to do what was required. And God is going to forcibly, like he did with Lot, grab them because he loved them. And strongly influence us to obey him. And then the wife. Wives don't follow her example. And men don't follow her example. Don't be, don't doubt God. Don't doubt that God is right about his judgments. Because when you start doing that, that's when you will be destroyed and you will turn into a pillar of salt. So anyway, verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And then, of course, there's this horrendous, you know, I think God had, well, no, because this is a sin here, what they did here. <laughs> you know, they thought they were the only people on the earth, and they felt that, that well, I don't know. I mean, in this situation, they didn't know. And if they were the only people on earth, who else are they going to be able to procreate with? Okay, so, but I'm sure that God uh, has a special judgment in reference to what happened here, but it talks about, of course, the daughters having sex with their fathers because they thought that they were the only people on the earth at that time. So that's interesting, though. So that, you know, this is uh, a um, situation that uh, we we must remember and we, we must understand that that God is serious about his judgments and what he wants us to do. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, God, he, he wanted to go to Zor, but in verse 30, uh, 30 says, Now Lot went up to Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor, so he lived in the cave with his two daughters. <laughs> so the place where he wanted to go, he was afraid to go. So that just shows you that we need to do what God tells us to do and stop thinking that we have we know a better way uh than God, you know. So that that's what we need to do as well. So that to me that was very interesting that situation in terms of that. So um trying to find my studio here. Okay. Okay, there we go. They have a new uh, interface here, and I'm just getting used to it. All right, so I got, what, 49 minutes left. I just wanted to, to go over that. I, I think that was very important for me to go over that situation because I don't think many people understand that homosexuality was the catalyst toward him destroying Sodom. All right, so Acts chapter 5, verse 29. I'm going to go quickly here with these scriptures because I don't have too much time left here. Uh, 49 minutes. I guess that's, yeah, I got 50 minutes. I guess that's enough time. Okay, Acts 5. Okay, so getting back to when you don't obey authority. 
Acts 5, verse 29. It says, But Peter and the apostles said, We must obey God rather than men. So this was in the context when the Sanhedrin told them to stop preaching about Jesus. And he states here in verse 28, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So you get in this situation, even with the police or whatever, they're telling you to do something evil and all that, you don't do it. Even in the army, they have a law, they have a rule that if your superior tells you to do something that is against moral principles, you don't follow your leader. Okay, So that, that's just common sense, but and I just wanted the scripture, I wanted to prove it. Um, just wanted to uh, present a scripture to you. And then let's turn to First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Okay, it says, uh, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You don't fear the people, folks. You need to fear God. People are just like Abraham. That's why he was a great man. I'm dust and ashes. Okay, we all are dust and ashes before God. So you don't fear the people; you fear God. Okay, the fear of God is to hate evil. That's in Proverbs eight verse thirteen. That's the kind of fear that we need to have. We don't fear the people. You don't make decisions, and I'm sure there was uh, fear involved in making that decision last week. Uh, as far as the politicians, they, they were afraid that they would lose their seat, their job. Perhaps their their constituents were in favor of that, and they just did what they wanted. Okay, you don't give in to that if you know that something's right. You stand up for it. Uh, Mark chapter seven. Mark chapter seven, verse seven says. In vain do they worship. You can worship God in vain, in violation of the third commandment. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, so this is how the commandments of men can damage your understanding of the word of God. It says you leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. So, and then in verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It says, and many such things you do. So if man's law or commandments, what is religious or secular outside of religion, conflicts with the word of God and the commandment of God, you are not commanded according to the words of Jesus to obey it. Plain and simple as that. Is that clear? You know, so so those are the cases, folks, when you don't obey authority. Okay, I went over the cases where you should last week, so you can go ahead and listen to that. Now, false prophets versus true prophets. This is going to be a very interesting Bible study, so I hope you pay attention to this one, okay? Many people think a prophet today is someone that predicts September 11th, and it happens, okay? Well, that's a prophet, but really a prophet is also someone who teaches the Word of God. He's a, he's a preacher, he's a minister, uh, he's a servant of God. It's not always someone talking about predictions. 
as I'm going to show it to you. Okay. Um, but that's the way people think of a prophet: is someone who says something and it happens. Okay. Which that definitely has something to do with a prophet. But that's not the only. I guess what I'm trying to say: that's not the only thing a prophet does. Okay. They just don't sit up here and just predict things. Okay. They also teach the people and show the people God's way of life. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Starting in verse 21. Okay, for people who are wondering, how do we know, like this Harold Camping, we know he's a false prophet, and he changes his story. I mean, that's not a prophet. I mean, If you're a prophet of God, you don't have to change your stories. You don't make mistakes, okay? Because God tells you something, and it happens. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 21. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, as in Harold Camping's case, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him, meaning you don't respect him. Okay? I don't respect Harold Camping. And now he's predicting something else that I know is not going to happen. October, what is it, October 11, whatever. Now he's saying that the end of the world is going to come then. And he's saying it is spiritual. He is a false prophet, folks. Stop for people listening to that man, pray for him, but stop following him and stop giving him money. Okay, he's a millionaire, and many people in this country do this. I mean, they they set themselves up. Me and my wife was in this crackpot church, uh, and this guy actually has deceived himself into thinking that God has talked about him as a prophet in all the prophetic books. He believes that he's that prophet that's spoken of in the Gospels. That prophet is Jesus. It's not him. He certainly isn't Jesus, that's for sure. So, so uh, that, that's what I'm saying. You know, there's a scripture saying, "Deceived and being deceived," and he's deceiving himself, and he's deceiving these other people. And of course, he's making a lot of money. He makes over twenty million dollars a year. Has all this church property, like that's supposed to make them so special than everybody else. You know, uh, God doesn't care about your possessions. You know, uh, He states that one man's life does not consist of, of the things he possesses, and obviously, he thinks that. So. Look at look at our fruits. Look at look at our what we got. Look at look at our money. No, God is not. He doesn't focus on what you have. He focuses on your behavior, how you treat people. We must master the art of human relations and the art of godly communication, speaking to God, to be able to make it in God's kingdom. It has nothing to do hardly with what you have. And unfortunately, many people are deceived about that. By that, look look at our, what our church got. Look at all these church buildings. Roman Catholic. Everybody thinks. A lot of, what, two, I think it's two billion people that believe, I think it's one billion, I don't know. There's a lot of people that, that are Catholics. And a lot of people, they, they're so, I have to admit, yeah, Rome is spectacular. The Pope and what he wears, he looks cute, doesn't he? Okay? All that stuff is spectacular, right? But what they teach is wrong, a lot of it. Like it's okay to have idols. And they try to say it's not idols, it is idols. Okay? They're wrong about, you know, there, there's no pontiff, uh, there's no... Uh, somebody that takes the place of Christ, the victor of Christ. That man, I'll never kiss him. You know, uh, his feet. You don't have to just cut my head off, okay? So, 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 you know, I, it, it's he's not holy. 
He thinks he is, but he's not. All right, and there's a lot of other things about the Catholic Church, but you know this 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 show is not about bashing religion. It's about uh, other religions. It's about uh, preaching the truth and let, let let you find for yourself what's the truth and what's not the truth. So anyway, let's let's give an example because you know, people think that uh, a true prophet of God is popular, that has a lot of following, that. People love them and just jump up for joy whenever they hear them. Okay, well, after these scriptures I show you, I think you're going to realize that that's not that's not the character of a true prophet. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 18. And see, I preach the message of the prophets. I don't consider myself a prophet, but I consider myself a servant of God, and I preach their messages. And I know full well I'm not going to get a, a, a huge following. I don't care about that. I just care about saving souls. If there's one person that I can save by listening to this message, and I, I'm sure there will be at least one person, then I've done my job. I've done my job. Second Corinthians is not about money. That's what the, uh, the church has become in this country, a profit-making machine. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. Whoa, he had great riches and honor, right? And he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab was one of the most wicked kings of Israel, by the way. And you know, you remember his wife was Jezebel, right? And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him. And he induced him to go against Ramoth-Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? He answered him, I am as you are, my people as your people. Will you be with me in the war? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of God. So the king of Judah, as they tend to be, they were a whole lot more righteous than the king of Israel. And he told him to go seek the Lord. Now, in verse 5, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, prophets, plural, 400 of them, and said to them, Shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. Now, these were all false prophets, as you'll see in a minute here. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the, of the Lord of whom we may quite? So he knew, he knew that these, he had a sense. I don't know how, but he had a sense that these 400 prophets didn't know what the crap they were talking about. Okay, Verse 7, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, and I want you to pay attention to this. This is prophetic. Okay, this is, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, Micaiah, the son of Emlah, but I hate him. And why does he hate him? For he never prophesies good concerning me. But always evil. Always, And why does he prophesy about evil, though? He didn't wonder about that. I mean, because of their disobedience. You know? But anyway, and Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, I think it's Micaiah or whatever, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones arrayed in their robes. So they were looking real pretty in their thrones, okay? And they were sitting in the dressing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, which is, it was the capital of Israel, the house of Israel, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And 
Zedekiah, the son of Chenai, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And thus all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramah, Gilead, and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Verse 12, And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Okay, so Micaiah did not follow the the multitude into sin here. Okay, he's going to speak God's words. Okay, and verse 14, verse 13, but Micaiah said, As the Lord hears what my God says that I will speak. Okay, he's going to speak what God speaks. He doesn't care about the multitude. Verse 14, when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramagilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph, they will be given into your hand. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramagilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph, they will be given into your hand. Verse 15, but the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So, he was a little influenced, it looks like, at first, okay? And I guess he probably was just tired of being persecuted. Uh, I can relate to that. But anyway, verse and he said, I, I saw all Israel scattered in the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. This is interesting. And all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one, and one said one thing, and another said another. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. So this is interesting. God used a, a demon to to do uh, his will. I don't know if it was a demon or not, but it was a spirit. Okay. Verse 2, now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the son of... Chenai came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go for me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Josh, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. And if you read the rest of this, he did not return in peace. And the last sentence says, Then at sunset he died. So he was proven to be a true prophet, folks. And true prophets aren't popular. They're abused and persecuted. But, you know, God allowed him to be in prison. He was, he was able to eat. Okay, so he still takes care of you. And then uh, Isaiah, uh, Zechariah 7. Zechariah 7. How much time I got left here? 34 minutes. Zechariah 7. 
Okay, Zechariah, where are you? Okay, here we go. Zechariah chapter 7. And this is the general message of a true prophet. They're not just concerned about predicting the future. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he's a prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. You can render judgments, but they, God wants them to be true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refuse to pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears that they may that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard that not they should hear the, the law and the words of the Lord of hosts has sent by his spirit. So when you do that, you, you block the Holy Spirit from helping you understand the words of God through the former prophets. The former prophets spoke this message of being merciful and compassionate. compassionate. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. It says, as I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear. So if you don't listen to God, he ain't going to listen to you. Okay? what? Why should he if you don't listen to him? He's not going to listen to you. And listening to God means you obey him. Verse 14, And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. That's a prophecy of the future when he scattered the, the kingdom of Judah back in 586 B.C. And now Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Starting in verse uh, 8. And this is a prophecy. And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in the book that it may be for the time to come. As a witness forever. These times we're living in today. For they are a rebellious people, lying children. Children, unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Hearing the instruction of the Lord means that you want to obey His words. Verse 10, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophecy is illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise his word and trust in oppression and in perverseness and rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall bulging out and about to collapse whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly, that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the heart or to dip up water out of the cistern. See, so that is what's going to happen to this country and around the world, folks. Uh, when we continue to disobey God, suddenly destruction will come upon us. It's destruction that we're not going to be prepared for. I mean, the, the wicked won't be because they won't listen to God, you know. Ezekiel. That's why I can say confidently that what happened in New York and then previous, what happened at the U.N., is going to cause more destruction. Suddenly. I can't predict it. I don't know. 
But I, I just read to you what the prophet Isaiah said. When you don't want to obey God, what does God say about that? A man should not lie with another man like a woman. It's in Leviticus chapter 18. In Leviticus chapter 22. And Jesus never gave any indication that he approves of two men and two women being married. Okay? So we know that that is not right in God's eyes. And God says that he will cause destruction suddenly because you don't obey him. That's why I can say it. Okay? Now, I'm not predicting what or how or when, but I know it's soon. Because <laughs> this has never happened before in this modern age to announce at the United Nations that gay is okay. All right? Uh, then the following week in New York. So anyway, um, Ezekiel chapter 3. Now I was reading another headline, gay people are angry, they want to kill people that don't agree with them. You know, it's just ridiculous. From my World Net Daily. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is a prophecy. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. The house of Israel is not just the Jews, folks. It's the United States, Britain, Canada. The countries of Northwestern Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, if that, and then, of course, the little nation of Israel. If you don't believe that those are all the 12 tribes today geographically, please go to this website, www.beasinboyritam.org. That's www.beasinboyritam.org for proof, religious proof, biblical proof, and secular proof. All right. Ezekiel, chapter 3, starting in verse 2. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And that's the way we all need to look at Bible study, like it's filling our tummies. Verse 4. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, for you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely I sent, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. <laughs> Verse 7. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Now this is from God here, folks. We all have a tendency to be stubborn and not willing to want to obey him. Our peoples who are fat, lazy, love fantasy, don't care for the poor like they should. And then they have this fascination with sexual immorality. That's our peoples worldwide. Those are the sins of Sodom. Anyway. Verse 8, Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moabie said to me, Son of man, all my words that I speak, shall speak to you, you receive in your mind and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles 
to your people and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Okay? And he told them, of course, because of their rebellion, and that's the way they are today, they don't want to hear the true words of God. They don't want to hear the true words of God. But all servants of God are commanded to do this. Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verses 1 to 2. We're commanded to cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob, which is the house of Israel, their sins. Yes, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And God tells you the reason why he does not um, answer our prayers, folks, a lot of times. It's because of this. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or is ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. Verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. Okay, so God is not going to respond to you in the, in the way you want him to when you're, you're wicked and don't want to obey him. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, he tells that the majority of Israel today is ignorant of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the commandments of God. Psalm 119, verse 172, for proof of that. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, just like Christianity today says that the law of Moses, which is the law of God, is nailed to the cross. That's their own righteousness. Okay, God never said that the law of Moses is replaced with some other law. The law of Moses is his law. The reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God used Moses to give the law to the people. All right, so... And they're seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness or his commandments. Isaiah chapter 1. Now this is a prophecy that I must read in the light of all this gay stuff. Isaiah chapter 1. And then we're going to get to what the sins of Sodom are. In the English Standard Version, I've been reading that throughout this uh, program. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Azah, Hezekiah, king of, king of, uh, the kings of Judah. Verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give here, O earth. So this is a message for the entire world. Okay? Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the donkey is master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This is a prophecy to show that when I, when I tell you that we are Israel, you may think I'm crazy when I'm saying that, but God has just told you that Israel don't even know who they are. Okay? He says, 
that the ox knows his owner and the donkey is master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. We're obstinate, ignorant people. We don't know what we should know. Verse 4, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. He calls us offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Verse 5, why will you still be stuck, struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? And he's talking about our governments today. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And you know what this is going to lead to? Verse 7, just like it did back then. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your presence, foreigners devour your land. They already are economically, China. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion, which is the modern state of Israel today, all the tribes, is left like a booth in the vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber, a field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of, he calls us rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So he compares us to that evil behavior. It says, what to me is a multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord, or in our case today, our giving. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-feed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of goats or the lambs or goats. Of the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? So anyway, you, know, you say he's sick and tired of the false religion. Okay? He's tired of that. He's really sick and tired of that. The phoniness of it all. And Isaiah chapter 3. This is, is what's happening right now, folks. This is what is occurring around the world. And it's, it's, it's verse 1, For behold, the Lord of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and Judah. He started with that first, but it's, it's happening around the world. Support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people, the people, will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The, the youth will be insolent to the elder and, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. Says, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. So, you know, this is just, you know, verse 9, which is prophetic in light of what happened last week in New York. For the look on their faces bear witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. In that gay parade, they weren't hiding their sins. You know. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. 
Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. That's what the fruit God's looking for. He's not looking for buildings and church buildings. He's looking at the fruit of our deeds. That's what he's looking for. Uh, verse 11, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their impressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your path. So, again, when you sin against God, God will let you know that he doesn't appreciate it. That's just the way it is, the way it always will be. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, to understand what God says is the sins of Sodom. Ezekiel 16, starting at verse 49 and 50. It says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, and that's what we have, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. Okay, The abomination, we know what that was. All right, so that is the sins of Sodom, folks. And Americans and all those geographical areas that I mentioned, they exhibit all or some of these sins. That's for sure. So, and then, you know, Christ mentioned in Matthew chapter 23. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 34. He states, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. From town to town. So that, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to them, or stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood on her wings, and you would not. So it just tells you that prophets aren't, the true prophets of God aren't very well liked. They don't have a huge following, and they're persecuted, and many of them are murdered and killed. So, you know, that's, uh, that's what Jesus told you. In Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, and Stephen, as he was being stoned, was saying these things, or in the process of it, Acts chapter 7, verse 51 and 52. It says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? <laughs> they persecute all the prophets. Every single last one of them, including Yeshua. And anyone that preaches the message of the prophets will get persecuted. Acts chapter 5. In light of what Stephen just said, resisting the Holy Spirit, what does that do to you? Well, 
Acts chapter 5, verse 32, says, And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who disobey him. No. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So if you want to continue to be happy and joyful, don't resist God. You know, I told an individual last night, you have two options. You have two masters. You have God the Father. He's a master. And you have Satan the devil. He's a master. They both want you to obey them. The good master, God the Father, will reward you with everything. Give you immortality, eternal life. You have a spiritual body that has no blood. The blood will be replaced by the Holy Spirit. It will be powered by the Holy Spirit. You, Your body will shine like the sun. You will be glorified, powerful, be able to create other planets, other beings, be able to fly across the universe, etc. You'll have a throne. You'll have it all, let's put it that way. If you obey God the Father, the true master, the righteous master. And then you had a dichotomy of devil as your master. Well, the devil can give you give it to you all, just like he offered the whole world to Yeshua, right? <laughs> he said, hey, it's mine. I can give it all to you if you just bow down to me. But as Christ said, what, what good is it to gain everything now and lose your eternal life? That's what the devil will reward you. The devil is going to reward you with nothing. In the end, you won't get nothing. So, based on those two options, knowing that, hey, we have to obey somebody, what's the better option? The better option is to obey God. We can't run away from responsibility, and we can't run away from obeying somebody. So if you understand that, then your better option is to obey God. When you obey the devil, there's no reward in that, <laughs> other than death. All right, so anyway, so... In Acts 5, verse 32, And we are the witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. To those who obey him. And it's only given to those who obey him. All right. Isaiah 26, verse 9. Many of you may... Well, why does God allow punishments? Okay, well, he does it for one primary reason. Okay? And it has something to do with trying to wake us up to reality. That we and mightily influence us to obey Him. Isaiah chapter twenty-six, verse nine says, "My soul yearns for you in the night; my spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness." Okay, that's the reason why God punishes, because we just don't seem to get it. The, the nicey poo way, right? So God has to, just like with kids, you know, just like with babies, they just don't get it when you tell them stop. I mean, they have to be spanked, and then they get it. Well, that's the same thing with most adults in this world. We just don't get it by reading the Bible. We have to see the punishments, and so He's going to inflict. Just like Christ said uh, when the uh, the Roman guard came to Him and asked that He heal His son, you know, He said, uh, "You people won't believe unless you see signs and wonders," and He knows that, you know. That's just the way we are. You know, uh, I've grown not to be that way. I don't need to see God's judgments on the earth. I, I believe him. I know. He's, he's done too many miracles in my life, especially this one right here with my wrist. 
you know, not the way I would like it, but this is a miracle, the fact that it's healing. I mean, it's almost normal again, you know. So uh, God has performed miracles. And, you know, my, my wife can tell you, my son, I look deformed. My my arm is deformed and everything. It don't look deformed anymore. And so this is another miracle, my miracles that God has uh, performed. So uh, I know there's a God. But unfortunately, the majority of people on the earth are going to need a little convincing. And so God will give them some convincing. Uh, let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. This is the good news of that convincing. Revelation chapter 7. Looks like I'm not. I'm going to try to see if I can summarize the Torah readings. I wanted to do that today, but this is so important. I just wanted to cover this. So the good news is that it's on audio, and I don't have to get this again, and people can listen to it. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I behold, and be, uh, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, and they're in heaven, despite what people say. This has got to be in heaven. Clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, symbolizing Sukkot, the festival of the Tabernacles. Verse ten, and crying out with a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb." And all the angels were standing before, around the throne. That tells you that this must be in heaven. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessed and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13, Then one of the elders answered me and saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from whence have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they came out of great tribulation, or what I like to call great spanking, okay, great problems. Uh, and through coming out of that, they were able to repent. So you can see that these punishments will influence mightily many people to repent. Unfortunately, people have to, most people have to go through this to repent. God doesn't want you to have to do it. That's why the Bible was written, so you don't have to go test God and see whether or not what he's saying is right or wrong and get punished for doing it, okay? But unfortunately, people, I don't know, a lot of people are knuckleheads, okay? And meaning that they just need to get knocked around a few times. And that's what the Great Tribulation is going to be. People are going to be knocked around. People are going to die, you know, have to die for God. So there's going to be a percentage, small percentage protected. But not everybody's going to be protected, folks. Some people have to give their lives. And you're going to have to be strong enough to do that if that's what God wants you to do. After all, again, John the Baptist was declared the most righteous on the earth, right? What happened? Got his head cut off. All right, so um, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to pick up next week. I'm going to show you, unfortunately, there's going to be a significant amount of wicked people that no matter what God does, they're just not going to repent. That's found in Revelation chapter 9. And then I'm going to go over the right versus wrong conflict that the Bible prophesied through the prophet Malachi. But let me just quickly go over the Torah readings here in the remaining six minutes. I'm just going to summarize it using Chabad.com. Uh, let me see. I'll go to this here. Okay, so the, the, the Torah readings today that I was going to go over, uh, Numbers 19, verse 1 to, to Numbers 22, verse 1. It says, Moses, uh, this is by Chabad.org, uh, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. 
Moses is taught the laws of the red heifer whose ashes purify a person who has been contaminated by contact with a dead body. After 40 years of, of journeying through the desert, the people of Israel arrive in the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N, like zebra, Z-I-N. Miriam dies and the people thirst for water. God tells Moses to speak to a rock and command it to give water. Moses gets angry at the rebellious Israelites and strikes a stone. Water issues forth, but Moses is told by God that neither he nor Aaron will enter the promised land. Aaron dies at Hor Hathar, Hor Harhar, and is succeeded in the, in the high priesthood by his son Eli, uh, Eleazar. Eleazar. Uh, venomous snakes attacked the Israelites' camp after yet another eruption of discontent in which the people speak against God and Moses. God tells Moses to place a brass serpent upon a high pole, and all who get, gaze heavenward would be healed. The people sing a song in honor of the miraculous well that provided the water in the desert. Moses leads the people in battles against the Amorite king, Circum, and Og, whom seek to prevent Israel's passage through their territory and conquers their lands which lie east of Jordan. So that is the summary of that, and we all know, you know, the Israelites, they have a tendency back then and even today to just to rebel, to rebel, to rebel. That's the reason why Christianity today, they hate the law of Moses. Why? Well, just look at how they treated Moses. Okay, look at how the Israelites, and Moses was in person, they they didn't want to obey. So is there any wonder that Christians today don't want to obey the law of Moses? Okay, let's let's... Use a little common sense there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, tells you that those things were written down as our examples for today. So anyone telling you that the law of Moses is, is toilet paper and done away with, they don't know what they're talking about. Okay, um, let's look at the uh, prophetic scriptures here. Let's see if I have enough time here. Four minutes. Uh... Okay. Uh, this is in Judges 11, verse 1 to 33. This reads Hathor, or the prophet section, describes how the people of Israel were attacked by the nation of Ammon. That's the area of Jordan today. The Israelites engaged in Jephthah to lead them in battle against this military threat. Jephthah first sent a, a missive to Ammon, declaring the peaceful intentions. So he filed the Torah in regards to that, to, to go and, and say, hey, we want peace with you, we don't fight. So that's what it's outlined, I think, in Deuteronomy 20, or Deuteronomy chapter 20, I think, or chapter 24, the, uh, the rules of war. In his message, he also discussed the Israelites' conquest of the lands of Sikkim and all victories which are related in this week's Torah reading, which I just read. Jephthah the Gilead, Gileadite, was the son of a harlot. He was sent away from his home by his half-siblings and settled in the land of Tob, where he became a great warrior. When the nation of Ammon, which is the area of Jordan today, attacked the people of Israel, Jephthah, was called upon to lead the Israelites to battle. Jephthah agreed on one condition. If you bring me back to fight with the children of Ammon, and God delivers them before me, I will become your head. The Israelites accepted his terms. Jephthah tried to bring a peaceful resolution to the conflict by sending messengers to reason with the king of Ammon, but the latter remained inflexible. Jephthah then successfully led his countrymen in battle, and they trounced and eliminated the Ammonite threat, which, of course, again, I just want to repeat is... Uh, Jordan, and then, of course, Jordan did attack Israel, right, uh, back in, I think, in 19, uh, when they declared themselves a nation, right? All, all the Arab countries tried to attack Israel at that time, most of them anywhere around there. Okay, so I uh, have two minutes and 11 seconds left here. And, and then John 3, verse 14 and 15 alludes to that, the serpent being put on the stick and people were healed 
And Christ said he would be just like the serpent. And when people look at him and obey him and follow him, they will also be saved. So, on that note, um, we will pick up next week, God willing. Uh, my wrist is a whole lot better, so those who have been praying for me, I appreciate it. And uh, may God bless and keep you in these very, very difficult and tough times that we all uh, are living in and will live in in the future if, if God allows uh, to live through it. So may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available for you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.